0: And early just to come and declare those truths right there with 500 other men, um, then it was worth rising early just for, just for that. And to be reminded that even though we've made a mess of things, as that first song declared, that's uh, not the end of the story and it's not over. And the God of angel armies is by your side. Let's thank that God and ask him to bless our time. Well, Lord in heaven, Uh, I am renewed and encouraged and strengthened, Father, just by the testimony of my friends who have um, gotten up early, and purposed to come, to gather with other men, and to sing, Lord, in song, the truths of your word. And Father, I am so grateful that uh, even when we make a mess of things, as we see Isaac and Rebecca, who made a mess of things this week... Um, their story was not over, and you were doing something beautiful. And the same is true in our lives, Father. You're a God of grace. You're our redeemer. And you're able to take, Father, our brokenness and our mess. You're the God of angel armies who stands by our side. And so, Father, we just declare to you um, that we are weak, and we are frail, and we are desperately in need of a Savior. And of your leading and your guidance. Would you humble us today? Would you help us, Father, uh, in our time together, both large group and small group, to learn what you have for us? And we dedicate this time to you and ask for your blessings on it. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, gang. Well, as you know, we're continuing uh, our study in the book of Genesis. And whenever you open up a book of the Bible, what you want to do is always ask yourself, instead of just... Jumping into uh, chapter twenty-four or wherever you are, you always want to stop and ask yourself, "What's the big picture? What's the context?" It's kind of like walking into a movie late, and so if you walk into arrive to a movie late and you're uh, just seeing the you know halfway point of the movie, you kind of have to stop and look to your buddy and say, "Hey, what's happened up to this point?" And so what I always want to do is, is I want to give you a framework so that when you think through Genesis, you're able to go, okay, I know the big picture here. It's just like when, you know, a house is being built, there's a foundation and then there's a framework. And so my encouragement to you is, is to remember the the architecture of Genesis, the framework of Genesis. It's really simple. It's broken up into two big buckets. It starts with four events, and then it ends with four people. This is the book of Genesis. The first four events, creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. We covered all that uh, last time in our time together. But those are the four major events. Creation. God created us. He spoke the earth into existence. There's one God. Sovereign, personal God. He wants to have a relationship with us. Created us in his image so that we could relate to him and reflect his glory. But we rebelled against him. That's the fall. And then flood, you know, the story of Noah and how it's a picture to us of the ark as a, as a means of God's grace, just like how we now today trust in the cross and how that is going to allow us to escape the coming flood of judgment. And then the Tower of Babel, where once again, man rebels. They gathered again to live independently of God. They mock God. They think they can be God without God's grace, without his assistance. And God stoops down and scatters the people and confuses their language. But God, in his grace and in his love, he chooses one man. And this man is named Abraham. And it's to Abraham he makes a great promise in chapter 12. And I want to read this to you, because this is very central to how you understand not just Genesis, but all of the Old Testament. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is what's known as the Abrahamic covenant, and here you see that God promises Abraham three things. He promises him a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He promises him, despite his old age and his wife uh, being barren, he says, hey, through you will become a, a multitude, a nation, and we know these people to be the Jewish people, the Israelites. Land, a nation, and a blessing. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, in ways which is, you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So when we read through Genesis and we read these crazy stories, like what we're going to focus on here in a little bit with Isaac and Rebekah, you have to kind of scratch your head and ask yourself the question throughout all the Old Testament, really even through the New, will God be faithful to his promise to Abraham? Is there any way in which man in all of the rebellion and foolishness and deceit and manipulation can thwart the plans of God? How is God going to fulfill what he promised to Abraham? This great land, this, these multitude, these descendants, and how is Abraham and his descendants specifically, how are they going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth? That's the question. My uh, son, as you know, many of you know a little bit about my story, but when my son was diagnosed with cancer when he was four, I remember my dad making this promise to my son when he was sick. You know, he wanted to cheer him up, and he said to him, he said, hey, Gage, let me tell you something. When you're done with this thing, I'm taking you to Disney World. And um, you know, this was three and a half uh, years of treatment. And my my father said that one time, and my son felt about at his worst. And it, as we got closer, you know, I was kind of like, oh, dad, you just said that. I mean, he's going to cling on to that, you know, and you're going to have to come through here, right? Don't forget that. Don't let that be something you said just to be kind, right? Three and a half years later, nothing is hardly ever said about this. And I'm not kidding. My, my son takes his final round of chemo and he looks at my dad and he goes, you said we're going to Disney World. <laughs> and he locked on that and, and, and he did not forget And my dad was like, you're right, and we're going to Disney World. And the whole time, clearly, my son had in the back of his mind, will my grandfather be true to his promise? Am I going to Disney World? And when you're reading through this, this promise to Abraham, and all the tension up and down through Scripture, when you get to Exodus, when God's people are in bondage in a whole other foreign land, and they're being held in captivity— you're sitting there going, How's God going to fulfill his promise to Abraham? The, these people are in the wrong land and they're being held captive. When they're wandering in the desert in the book of Numbers, you're going, Is God going to be faithful to his promise to Abraham? When uh, they enter into the promised land and they're unfaithful to God and there's a series of judges and everyone does what is right in his own eyes, will God be faithful to his promise to Abraham? How's he going to work this out? And that's the tension throughout all of scripture when you get to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 and you see that Jesus is the son of God, son of Abraham, the son of David. It is Matthew's claim. Guess what? God was faithful to his promise to Abraham. So this is not just a a chapter you can easily overlook. It is foundational to our understanding of Genesis and the rest of scripture. And so what you did the, over, um, over the week was you looked at chapters 24 through 27 primarily, and chapter 24, just by way of review, I titled this A Bride for Isaac. In 25, I titled this Two Nations in One Womb, because it's here, and this is important, in chapter 25, my key verse is verse 23, because now listen to this, in 25 verse 23, the Lord comes to Isaac and Rebekah. And says, hey, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. God declared this. Abraham has a son. His son is Isaac. Isaac is married to Rebekah. Rebekah and Isaac are going to have twins, Jacob and Esau. And God declares from the very beginning before they're ever even born. Guess what? Esau's the older but he will be subject to Jacob, okay? God clearly declares right here, this is what's gonna happen. Two nations, one womb. And then we talked last week a little bit about that whole idea of birthright and how the one, uh, the older, is supposed to have double the inheritance. But Esau was given to his passions and was seeking immediate gratification and was willing to surrender his birthright. And Jacob, the little conniver that he is, right, is willing to manipulate the situation and exploit his brother and trick him, right, and take from him. And we're going to see that theme continue. Don't worry, guys. We're going to get to see Jacob have his, his due here in a little while. And then in chapter 26, I titled that like father, like son, because Isaac learned the way of his father, Abraham, And there's this whole deception about who his wife is, and is she really his sister, and how they trick Abimelech. And then chapter 27, I titled that Stolen Blessing. And this is where I want to spend the next few minutes. This chapter's really broken up into five different scenes, if you will. The first scene is Isaac's plan. Isaac has a plan, and his plan is to bless who? Esau. Esau. Isaac wants to bless Esau. Esau is the man's man. That's daddy's boy. He's proud of him, okay? But he knows full well what was God's will. Who was going to receive the blessing? Where was this promise to Abraham? Through whom was this promise going to run? Jacob. But Isaac wants to take matters into his own hands. He maybe is struggling with the fairness of God, And so, what he does is he goes, hey, I know what God promised, but let me tell you something. This is going to be the boy I bless. Rebecca, Rebecca, on the other hand, overhears Isaac's plan to bless Esau. And she goes, no, 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 no. Because she's got a mama's boy, and that is Jacob, okay? And she says, hey, look, we're going to trick your father. And she comes up with an elaborate plan, as you guys read, that because... Uh, Jacob was smooth, but Esau was hairy. She says, hey, listen, I'm going to go and prepare this, this meal for you. You don't even have to go get that together. And then I'm going to give you these, these animal skins. And you're going to go in because you're just, your father's blind, right? And dull in his senses. You're going to go in there and you're going to pretend to be your brother. And then he's going to bless you. And then we see that that is exactly what happens, that Jacob deceives Isaac, his father, so that then he receives the blessing. He steals the blessing. And then Isaac and Esau discover what's happened, that they've been deceived. And you've got Esau who's, who threatens to take Jacob's life and Rebekah who goes, hey, you've got to run. And this is a mess of a family, is it not? I mean, this is a mess. Because of manipulation and deceit and favoritism and mistrust, talk about Dysfunction. And as a result of that, we don't have any evidence. Little Rebecca here, trying to protect and care for her little boy, we don't have any evidence they ever even see each other again. And so there's grave consequences to their manipulation and their deceit. You know, uh, a couple of takeaways from this story, as I think about it, I thought, you know, on one hand, this story demonstrates that nothing can thwart the will of God. In his sovereignty, he's able to providentially accomplish his will despite the deceptive schemes of man. You see that? Despite all the, the manipulation, despite Isaac sitting there going, okay, I know who I'm going to bless. It's going um, to be Esau. And then you've got the, the deception of Rebecca and Jacob. And despite all that, God in his sovereignty is able to accomplish his will. And then on the other hand when you look at the story I think one of the takeaways is is it demonstrates the terrible consequences of favoritism deceit, manipulation and selfish ambition. There's consequences when we are conniving and dishonest and there's broken relationships here. I want to show you something. This is early in the morning but you guys are smart. Now I'm just telling you pick a Don't pick 4,000, okay, or 4,128, okay? You're just going to make it hard for yourself, all right? I want you to choose any number. For some of you guys out there that went to Baylor, like me, just choose between 1 and 10, all right? Not real strong in math for me, (laughs) all right? Some of you Stanford grads out there that I see, you know, you choose 4,123, but choose any number. Now I want you to double it. You got it? All right. So first of all, pick any, I want you, Adam, what was your first number? Seven. Seven. All right. Let's look at Jeff. What was your first number? 22. Kurt? What's your number? All right. So everybody's got a number, right? All these different numbers. Now I want you to double it. Now I want you to add to it. Add 10 to it, rather. You got your number? This is complex math, boys. Now, half the number. You with me? You wait? Then subtract your first number. All right, you ready? If you guys can add and subtract your final number, all of you five. Isn't it? It's five. Some of you are going, no, hold on, I didn't get five. Well, you can't add. (laughs) Here's the point in what I'm trying to illustrate to you guys. We bring a, we make a mess of things. We don't bring unity. We bring strife. We bring disagreement. We bring all sorts of different numbers and factors and agendas, okay? And God is able to take all of that mess, Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebecca and all their messy affair, and he's able to accomplish his perfect will. The number is going to be five. The blessing is going to go through the son, Jacob. And God's going to accomplish his perfect will will. Now some of you are still sitting there going, what? How'd that happen? Five? Just focus. Don't let the illustration take away from the point which I'm trying to help you understand. Each of us bring a mess into our relationships, but God is able through that mess to bring about his perfect will for your good and for his glory. Do you see that? You had the freedom to choose. You choose 11, you choose seven, you choose whatever. But in the midst of all that, God's sovereign and good, and he goes, hey, guess what, guys? The number's five. Hey, guess what? Nothing is going to thwart my plan to bless Abraham. And one day, despite all the ups and downs of Israel and all the chaos that comes through uh, Israel's history, Jesus is gonna be born. And because of his Birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, gang, God can accomplish his perfect and good will in our lives, and we can have peace with God. Here are a few discussion questions, you guys, just to kick around during your time together, and we're going to close. The first one's this What does this story teach us about God? And we have this written down for you, so you can just grab it on your way out. What does this story teach us about God? What encouragement do you find in seeing how God is able to accomplish his will despite the deceptive schemes of man? I read this story and I go, man, what a mess. But I'm encouraged the fact that despite all the mess and the conniving and the schemes of of man and their sin, God's still sovereign. That encourages me. What encouragement do you find? The second one is both Isaac and Rebecca failed to trust in the Lord's plan. You have Isaac failed to trust in the fairness of God's plan. He knows God's will, but yet he's still holding on and goes, no, I'm going to bless the boy that I want to bless, and that's Esau. And then I think you have Rebecca who failed to trust in the timing and the sovereignty of God's plan. Rebecca's like, whoa! And so she, re- she relates to manipulation. She already heard God is going to bless Jacob. But she's like, "Oh no! Now I need to take matters into my own hands." You ever struggle with God's will and His timing and His plan? In what ways are you struggling to trust Him today, and how are you tempted to take matters in your own hands? And the next question is: favoritism, manipulation, and deceit marked Isaac or Rebecca's home. And what lessons are we to learn from their example? And how's their story a warning to us? There's a lot here for you to jump into. You got several chapters. I'd encourage you to take a look at them, wrestle with them, right, as a group. I'm going to spend most of my time, as you can see, in chapter 27. Because think like there, there's just the heart of what's going on here. So let me pray for you, and then I'm going to let you break. Well, Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you're the God of angel armies, that you never leave our side, and that, Father, you could take from our mess, you can create, Lord. Um, and just a message of, of grace and hope. And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage my friends today as they gather together and talk about how they're wrestling with just the reality of, of your will and the mess they've made, and sometimes it's difficult trusting you. And, and, uh, and Lord, I just pray that you'd show us where uh, we fall short and help us, Father, just through the encouragement of our friends and the truth of your word, Lord, be strengthened today that we could be your men. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.